I'd go and work until four in the morning. I'd be falling asleep on my keyboard. I'd pick my head up by my hair, slap myself in the face and like physically hold my eyes open like Clockwork Orange or something. And then I'd plug in Gary B being, work harder, hustle, damn it. And be like, okay, Gary, <laughs> let's go, go, go. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast arriving new stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. In this episode, we're joined by Tom Ross, who is the founder of Design Cards, a marketplace and community for creatives, which he's grown to a team of over 20 in the past decade. Tom is also a seasoned podcaster co-hosting the Honest Designer Show and BizBuds, which have been downloaded millions of times. It's not all been plain sailing for Tom as he ran into severe burnout working 18-hour days, seven days a week for 18 months, leading him to be hospitalised. In this episode, we're going to find out more about Tom's story, some of his successes and failures in business, along with advice he gives to founders from his experiences. There's an extended version of this show on the Indie Bytes membership available for £4 a month. Link is in the show notes or head to bytes.fm slash membership. Now, Tom talks about how he grew a design blog to 15 million visitors in this episode, and there's no doubt he did that with a heavy dose of SEO. To do that, he would have needed to use a tool like Ahrefs, who are kindly sponsoring the show. Ahrefs is the most complete and valuable SEO tool on the market. If you want to get more traffic from Google on your side project, I'd recommend trying out Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free. You'll see what keywords your pages are ranking for, understand how Google sees your content, and discover what changes you need to improve your search ranking. To try out Ahrefs, head to ahrefs.com awt, that's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com, or hit the link in the show notes. Let's get into this episode. Tom, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on, James. I'm excited to chat. Me too. And I'm not too sure that people would have come across you or across paths. There's plenty out there where people can learn in detail about your story. I'll make sure I put a link in the show notes. But I wondered if you could give us a little bit of the background to you until you launched Design Cuts. Sure. So I started young. My best friend at the time clicked on a website, hit view source, and it spat out a bunch of code and it blew my mind. It was like the first time I saw the matrix. And we started building websites together from a very young age. And we had all these various projects. Some of them turned into stuff, made us a bit of money and showed us the potential there. Others were just for fun. And along the way, I I just did these self-initiated projects. So I started a forum. This is really nerdy, James. I started a fan forum for the band Interpol, which I think at one point got busier than the official uh, bad forum <laughs> had a quarter of a million posts people were spending their lives there and that was my first kind of foray into community and I loved it and I made some really good friends in that space did a few other things over the years and yeah really I've been walking this tightrope historically between design and the creative industry and entrepreneurship have you ever had a normal job I worked in Waitrose supermarket. <laughs> I think I did two weekend shifts and then I quit, <laughs> partly because my manager hated me yeah. and partly because I would go home and I would have passively made more money from various online stuff than what I earned on my shift, yeah. freezing my hand, stacking shelves. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, this probably isn't for me. How much were you sort of earning at that age? Oh, it, it was relatively very little. Yeah. So you'd get home and you would have worked for hours and you've earned like 27 quid. And then you'd come home and you might have earned 57 quid from some online venture that was just ticking along passively with some of those earlier ventures when you were at school before design carts is there any that you look back on fondly or you really enjoyed or you wish you were still doing now I don't think there's any I wish I was still doing now each one almost feels like um, a step and there's so many learning lessons with each one so one of the big ones I started a design blog and I listened to all the marketers out there who were basically saying 
all this community stuff that you like, that's not really what you should be focused on. You need to focus on driving insane traffic. <laughs> so I learned all these traffic driving strategies and that blog ended up getting about 15 million unique visitors over oh the years. Goodness. And I was like, oh great, I've made it. But then the whole thing I realized was incredibly hollow. It helped pay through university. It, it wasn't like a huge sustainable business. So that kind of burst that bubble. And I was like, I've been sold a lie. My gut was right. I don't like all the, the sleazy marketing stuff. And actually, I much prefer the people-centric approach and the community-centric approach. And so D Design Carts launched in 2013. Uh, that was in your early 20s. You're now still running it as CEO. Was Design Carts the first thing that you thought was actually going to make it? Was going to be something you were going to do long term? Yes, probably. Like I say, there were a few ventures that showed some promise along the way and started to take off in various regards but that was the one it went like a rocket to be honest in year one so what were you sort of doing to grow it in the early days we we had a, a pretty good launch so we made money from day one we had some affiliate like jv partners and actually not that much at us back then the product market fit and community was so strong that essentially i made best friends with our first 300 customers and jumped on one-on-one -on -one phone calls with them and nurtured those relationships. We then took their feedback on board and built with them and iterated the product very quickly. But the deals and the products we were selling had such good product market fit that people just told their friends mm -hmm. who told their friends. So I genuinely think word of mouth was probably our biggest driver in, in year one. So almost a decade on with Design Cards. Not quite there, but how's the business doing now in terms of team size? And I don't know if you share revenue, but give us an idea of the, the size of Design Cards now. Yeah, sure. We are just over 20 people now. It's you know it's still a small business in the scheme of things, but it's very different than when it was just the founders. Mm -hmm. Like when we founded it, I was the only full-time founder. Even my business partners, it was like a side hustle for them. We, we have a sister company that didn't uh -huh. invest, but provided advice and infrastructure and their stakeholders too. And initially it was me in the corner of their sales floor on a little desk with all these salespeople looking at me like, who is this random kid? Before we jump into community and talking about that, I want to talk about something that's quite important to me and other founders, which is mental health as a founder. And I know you've got quite a challenging story of what you went through. And you've openly shared this again on podcasts. I'll make sure I leave a link so people can listen to the full story of this. But again, for people who haven't come across this story before, can, can you summarize what happened when you were working those 18 hour days and you ended up fully burning out? Before I, I share this, just to caveat, obviously we're not glorifying this, far from it. It's mm. <laughs> much more of a cautionary tale, but I had always been passionate and worked hard in my own way, but I really discovered another level around starting my company. And I think it was this kind of perfect concoction. It becomes addictive, first of all. So when things go well, yeah. you work harder and the harder you work, the better you do and the better you do, the harder you want to work. So it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. I was also binge listening to a lot of Gary Vee um, <laughs> back then. Yeah. There was one video he did where it was called like Hustle or something like that. And he was just shouting at you to work harder. And this is how ridiculous it got. And all these things converged. So it was as ridiculous as this, James. Kiss my then fiance goodnight at 10 p.m. She'd go to bed. I'd go and work until four in the morning. I'd be falling asleep on my keyboard. I'd pick my head up by my hair, slap myself in the face and like physically hold my eyes open like Clockwork Orange or something. And then I'd plug in Gary B being, work harder, hustle, damn it. And be like, okay, Gary, <laughs> let's go, go, go. <laughs> and for the record, I, I actually quite like Gary B. I've got all his books and stuff. But yeah, it was, it was a 
bit damaging to say the least. And so it just went in this cycle for about 18 months and I was literally doing, no exaggeration, like 18 hour days, seven days a week for a year and a half, which I didn't even think I was physically capable of. And a lot of this, when you get swept up in it, I was like, man, I feel superhuman. You're like running on adrenaline. I was yeah. like, I'm, I can do so much more than I ever thought I could. I'm never going to crash. And the people around me were like, you should probably look out for those red flags up ahead or mm -hmm. like you should probably slow down. I was like, no, damn it. I'm different. I can do it all. <laughs> and obviously I couldn't. Long story short, it ended up with me burning out horrendously. I got very sick. I started actually being physically sick every morning, mentally just went to like sludge. And then I, I had to go see the doctor and ended up having major stomach surgery, being in bed for a while on a liquid diet to recover from the surgery. And then for a period, I, I was super ill even after that. And the whole time I had to keep running the company. Mm -hmm. So I'm there trying to maintain positive company culture, even though I look <laughs> like a wreck. Yeah. What are some of those red flags and how can founders sort of look out for them and make sure they, they don't run into burnout? I've seen people when they're swept up on it. A lot of the time they almost have to live it because like me, you have people trying to caution you that know better and you disregard it. So what I tend to say now and what I try and exercise myself is prioritize self-care. And it got to the point I even had a self-care checklist. And if you do all the stuff on that list, you can still generally work very hard, but you're not going to kill yourself in the process. Mm -hmm. So that's things like get eight hours sleep and like drink enough water, like meditate every day, go outside and leave your desk. I, there was about 10 things on my list. And I found that if I did them religiously, like at the minute, exercise every day, that kind of thing. If you do that, at least you know you're broadly looking after yourself. And then in the remaining hours, if you want to work your face off, fine. But at least you're not doing it at the sacrifice of your diet or your physical health or, or hopefully your mental health. And one thing that's also really helped me, especially over the last year, is having a community of people around me. I've been part of something called Weekend Club, which I say is my colleagues for my side projects, my colleagues for being a solo founder. These are people that I chat to every day and understand the sort of stuff that I'm going through. Maybe they've gone through it in the past. They understand internet businesses and entrepreneurship and freelancing and have conversations with these people. And many of these people over lockdown, I just met online um, and now we meet up in person and it's really nice, which kind of leads us on nicely to community where a lot of your focus is at the moment when did you start to realize how important community was because when I started following you it was a lot about design and personal branding and freelancing and now you've really doubled down on community honestly it was about a year or two before I started design cuts so call it a decade ago and I shared at the start of this episode I had that experience building the blog that got high traffic and that kind of thing but it felt very hollow and so when I started design cuts I'd found better mentors that had shown me the light and shown me that actually it was about having a carefully defined audience and really serving them and bringing them a lot of value and bringing people together and so that's the mindset that I went into starting design cuts with and from day one we didn't have growth goals we didn't have revenue goals or really a business plan all I knew is that I'd had a big audience where no one cared and this time I wanted to do it differently. So I said, I want to build the most engaged community I've ever seen online and, and literally did that in highly unscalable ways, hence <laughs> the burnout <laughs> that I mentioned. But yeah, I, I just, I really believe in it and I'm so glad that you found that group. There's a book called Blue Zones and it cites, there's certain societies in, in uh, the world that basically outlive everyone else and they actually show people were happier and living longer and had lower stress, etc., when they had these close-knit communities. And I think 
back in the day, we were much more tribal as a species. And you had that safety net and you mm. constantly were surrounded by people. And now we've got four walls and a glass screen in front of us. And we're very isolated, most of us, for most of the time. And that got exacerbated by the pandemic. And so there's this kind of epidemic of loneliness, which is ravaging mental health. There's tons of people in my life that never had issues with mental health and have struggled enormously. So I think we need communities more than ever. And it's so much more than just an effective business strategy. I think it's fundamentally human. And I think it's woven throughout everything that we do. And I think if we map this to social media and and the digital landscape, personally, I think people are getting sick of mindlessly thumbing through social media, seeing celebrities highlight reels. People are increasingly turning to these closed private spaces where they can connect with like-minded people. Okay, so that's community as a concept, why it's important. How about more tactically? How, how do people do it going from no community to starting one and actually cultivating that? So I think first and foremost, you need to really define the value prop, who you're trying to serve and what you're trying to offer them. Are you going to be offering support for care workers who need to lean on like-minded people or whatever it might be? then you need to actually push it out and validate it, which is something most people massively skip over. So you say, well, I've got a good idea for a community. I'm going to go talk to the people that I believe would enjoy this community and be inside it, and I'm going to get their feedback. After that, you then take that validation, further you know, push this out within your network and all the marketing channels that you, you can leverage, and crucially, build a wait list. Because what you don't want to do is hope that people like it, open your doors and say, guys, the doors are open, come on in. And it's crickets, it's tumbleweeds. Yeah. That's that's a really dangerous spot to be in. And that's a killer for early stage communities because no one wants to join an empty party. And then you launch with a bang. I like to do this with a live launch party, but it's not essential. And you can use that launch party, get everyone chatting on a Zoom call or something, mm-hmm. meeting each other. I, I like to give a tour inside the community on that call because that's a great way to onboard them. And then once people are in there, of course, you iterate very quickly. I like to start with an MVC, a minimum viable community. So you start with the simplest version of your community, just assume what everyone wants. And then based on what's actually happening, how people are using it and their feedback, which you go out and actively seek, you can start adding on new sections and building out that community over time. But don't try and get it perfect from day one. Don't make it too complex from day one because it will overwhelm people, especially when it's new and there aren't people in there to start with you want as few sections as possible so that's a few kind of more practical tips hopefully at the end of every episode i ask for three recommendations a book a podcast and an indie hacker entrepreneur you're inspired by or follow actually one of my favorite books which was a game changer is the thank you economy from gary v my favorite podcast is the diary of a ceo yeah by steve bartlett you know what we mentioned her earlier i've got a lot of time for rosie sherry i think she's a pretty cool character and someone that i've been paying attention to without a doubt tom thank you so much for joining me thank you such pleasure and james appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode of indie bikes all links to everything discussed will be in the show notes as always if you want to learn more about seo then check out stay sponsor hrefs if you want to hear more from tom then you can grab the extended version of this episode or if you want to hear more from me and what i'm building you can listen to my other podcast no more mondays co-hosted with dan rowden see you next week <laughs>